This is the Women Emerging Expedition Podcast, so you can follow the ups and downs and the roundabouts of the expedition and play your part in them. 24 women started on the 28th of May 2022 on this virtual expedition that will take nine months. We are women from across the world determined to find an approach to leadership that resonates with women. We'll be successful so that women the world over will be able to say, if that's leadership, I'm in. Welcome, 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 Julie Middleton, expedition leader. This episode is entirely a sort it's a it's a snapshot. It's the result of ten conversations that I've had with ten of the twenty four women on the expedition about where we've got to, or rather where they've got to at this stage. We're calling it two months in, the end of chapter one. We've been out talking to masses and masses of different people and and collecting information and collecting insights. Now I'm asking them to bring those insights, that, that content, and bring it back into the kitchen. It's an analogy I've been using. We're not yet ready to bake a cake, which is going to be the approach to leadership that resonates for women. We do that in February. But at the moment, what we're doing is we're collecting ingredients for that eventual cake and putting them in the kitchen. So just before we jump into the kitchen and go and have a look what's there, just to note and to thank Aisha, who is one of the members of the expedition, who who joined with me on our first expedition live call yesterday. We spent an hour with hundreds of people sending in their messages, asking us questions, everything from you know, how did you put the expedition together and how did you decide who was on it to asking Aisha really tough questions about the difficult decisions she's made as a leader over the years. So the live was hugely successful. We've got another one in three weeks time with Hinamoa. Do join that, but tell you more about that in a while. So back to what's in the kitchen. And first... Let's go to Mona, because Mona is irresistible. She took the kitchen analogy much, much further than anybody else. Mona didn't just bring in ingredients. She she brought in um, recipes that she was finding. And, and she gave us a recipe that she'd found full of ounces of this and dashes of that. But in amongst them all, there were three pinches. She was adding a in her recipe, a pinch of exuberance, a pinch of visibility, and a pinch of humility. So I asked her to elaborate. Um, after all, they're only pinches. They are only pinches because they can, but they can alter the taste of what you fundamentally cook, right? Because we all know the importance of adding a dash of this and a pinch of that. For me, exuberance is really in discovering possibility. Some of us may feel that the current moment we're in is a disaster, but I feel like it throws us into the present and it gives us this ability to have a deep sense of connection. And even though it may feel like an unwelcome gift, we have some kind of a spiritual awakening where we are close in a way that makes us feel more alive. And that's the exuberance I'm talking about in this. 
And But it's tough producing that exuberance in tough times. It is tough, but I think we have to look at the end game. It's a long game here. Nothing we do is going to be a, a short-term solution. So we have to keep that joy and that exuberance going. So I understand the exuberance. Tell me more about visibility and humility. I strongly believe that visibility and humility are two sides of the same coin. You can be humble about the work you do, but in order to really amplify the change you want to have, as I try with gender equality, you have to be visible so that people can see what they can be. And uh, they aren't mutually exclusive. It doesn't mean that you are bragging or that you're showcasing yourself. You're really highlighting an issue so people can see the path to change. That's the balance between humility and visibility. And lots of leaders struggle with visibility, don't they? I think they do, because it's a false narrative that if you're visible, you're not humble. And I don't think that's true. I think you can very easily be both. And that point was actually pointed out to me because as a child growing up in Calcutta, I worked with Mother Teresa. And someone said to me, well, isn't Mother Teresa both humble and visible? And of course she is. And I think that just switched it around for me. And I realized you can and must be both. Next, I went to Katya. Katya is the youngest member of our expedition and and has been really, really surprised, I think, about how the other members of the expedition have shared their emotions. And it has made her reflect a great deal on the power of what she calls inner work. So I asked her to explain the concept of inner work. I think my understanding of inner work is taking time to reflect and understand oneself, understanding one's positionality, the way that we see the world and why we see it that way, but also understanding, you know, what are our goals? What are our, you know, what makes us feel alive? What makes us get up in the morning? What are the things that, you know, we're excited about that we love? What are the things that we stand for? And everyone that I've spoken to so far in this expedition, both within the sort of expedition team, but also people outside, I've just been, I think moved is, a, is an appropriate word actually, because I, I wasn't expecting to discuss emotion so much with people and to discuss, to really get behind some sort of exterior and, and, and understand, or the fact that people have been willing to show themselves for who they are on a human level. I think that that, that I wasn't expecting. And inner work looks very different for different women in different cultures, different positions, isn't it? You know, some people look to God or some sort of spiritual figure to connect with themselves also on a, on a deep level. I know that, I mean, I do a lot of running in the mountains, right? Like that for me is a spiritual experience and that, that for me is a way of doing inner work and, and becoming a stronger, more reflective, self-reflective person. Some people garden, you know, like being close to nature, going for walks in the park, just all of these things where you take time to pause and to slow down because I think by doing that you really you're able to recalibrate and and speaking to different women as part of this expedition recalibrate was a word that was used a few times actually it's like where where is your center and how does that guide you and I think that that's extremely important for leadership because so inner work is to find what's inside yourself Good and bad, no doubt. Bad being some of the things that you need to sort of unlearn. Yes. And 
think you're saying that that is a particular challenge for women? I think it's a challenge for everyone, but I think that there are a lot of things that we as women need to unlearn. A lot of things that, you know, by doing this inner work, and I'll just briefly as a tangent here, I think that this inner work doesn't have to be independent. I think that that's also a key thing that people can be doing this inner work together and learning from each other. And particularly when it comes to this unlearning, I think this is really where we can learn from each other, where someone can highlight for you, actually you're behaving in this way that where you are putting yourself at a, at a disadvantage because of, because you've been socialized to behave in this way. Again, as a very basic example, you know, now, looking for jobs and preparing for interviews and writing cover letters, looking at my male friends, the way that they write their cover letters, the way that they write their CVs, I've completely rewritten, you know, how I used to present myself, you know, thinking that perhaps things that I've internalized as a woman, socialized to be humble and quiet and, you know, hope that people see behind this um, sort of passive exterior and actually realize that I am a good candidate for a particular position. No, I mean, you have to be assertive. You have to understand that you are worth it, you know, and there's a difference between arrogance and, and being assertive in your worth. But this is also something that has come up speaking to women as part of the expedition is that it's so important to know your worth and so important to know that you, you have a voice and, and, not not all women have a voice, you know, not all women are given the chance to use their voice, but those of us who can should, you know, and I think that that's something that we, we need to consciously unlearn is the barriers that we, that society perhaps has, has put up um, that actually we can overcome collectively. Next, I spoke to Alia, who, who has also loved being part of this group of 24 women and has loved seeing things through other people's eyes. And a, a particular thing that she's spoken about that um, that other members have shone a light on is that though we are focused on developing an approach to leadership that resonates with women, we're also, in effect, trying to cut through the perspectives about leadership that are anchored in the global north. Um, have a listen. Yeah, you know, as I've been meeting other members on this expedition and also just reflecting on my own leadership journey in different parts of the world, I've realized that many of the the sort of prominent models of leadership that we see in the media are in the global north, often in the United States or, or Eurocentric. Um, they're often male. Um, so how do we start to think about leadership that would resonate not only in the global north, but more broadly? How do we think about leadership that's also not anchored in a world that has to be defined by capitalism as its only modality of being, or patriarchy as the only way of being, or sort of an east versus west concept as the only way of being? How do we start to think about these things differently? And it's been wonderful to be on an expedition with so many different brilliant people and hear their perspectives. The, the first group that I was in, um, I had a great conversation with, with Aparna and we were really thinking about not just the way that we learn from our minds, but the way that we learn from our bodies, right? And it just made me think about 
how much wisdom there is in different parts of the world and how we need to almost decolonize our approach to leadership in general. And that plays back into one of your one of your deep beliefs that leaders need to learn to play. So I suppose in a way that's what the expedition is, 24 women playing. Absolutely. Um, you know, I have a deep, a deep love for play and all that it brings because it gets us out of our heads. It gets us out of our primary modality of, of thinking and doing, and it helps us connect um, with each other in new ways. It helps us connect with ideas in new ways and think differently. I mean, there's actual research out there that shows us that play isn't just good for children. We know it's good for children. We know that it actually play helps develop the prefrontal cortex, which is important for all sorts of things from regulating emotion to building relationships. But actually play is really important for adults as well and can help us build trust, can help us think outside of the box, can help us flip hierarchy and change power differential. And so if we are serious about changing a paradigm and thinking differently, we have to get out of the boardroom. We have to get out of, you know, only doing thing on pen, things on pen and paper or only thinking with our traditional minds and instead move with our bodies. We need to play. We need to interact with each other differently so that we can reimagine what leadership could and should be. And now on to Annalus and Isata. Annalus, who's who's seen something with real clarity, and Isatu tries to, in a way, respond to it. Uh, I'm not surprised you're feeling a certain amount of indigestion at the moment. Uh, it it makes sense, doesn't it, that that there should be indigestion at this early stage of the expedition. We're just accumulating things in the kitchen. We're not trying to pull them all together yet. Anyhow, listen to Annalouche. I was thinking about women in activism and I was thinking about women in politics, which are really important spheres of leadership where women have had and remarkable roles and where we need more women leading. And I see, I find it in myself, you know, that I, I would be hesitant to throw myself like fully into those arenas because I perceive them to be ruthless. I think leadership takes many forms. Sometimes it looks like a fight. Sometimes it looks like more coalition building or, or consensus building, working across difference, trying to bridge. Sometimes it is quiet. Sometimes you have to be loud. And sometimes it's very hierarchical and sometimes it isn't. And I'm, I'm more drawn to the collaborative you know, bridging kind of work. And I deeply admire the women who have in them this energy to fight. You know, I am here actually in South America where I grew up spending time with family and visiting right now with me is an aunt of mine who is the first woman mayor of one of the largest counties in the United States. And, you know, I just see the level of energy and determination that this requires, uh, just talking to her about the work she does, it's, it's really spectacular, it's remarkable. 
you know, I think some of us are very attuned to our emotions and in particular, perhaps seek harmony and want to build harmony among those around us. And so being in a confrontational state can be difficult and yet probably is a key part of leadership. Through our explorations, we're going to find that there are many, many different ways to lead and we, we need them all. I took Anna Lucy's admiration and thoughts to Isata. Isata, the politician, who must know a lot on this. And I asked her to what extent leadership is different when it's, when it's about a fight. Because the expedition members are definitely using the word collaboration a lot. And how relevant is the word collaboration when you're in a real fight? But first, I asked Isata, does politics have to be a fight? It's, it's an approach that you need to apply more often than you expect when you first get into politics, the fact that you have to fight. But what you realize very early on is that you have to first fight for the right to be there. And you have to fight for the right to do the right thing. And that's what you least expect. You expect that doing the right thing should be the most common acceptance that everybody has, that you'll be able to build a team around that because it's something that's going to benefit everybody. But it involves change. So change means loss to a lot of people, and therefore there's going to be resistance. So whether it's you actually being in a position of leadership means a change to somebody else that's no longer there, or you correcting some wrong in society fighting against some injustice, there's a loss involved to a lot of people who've maintained that status quo. So you have to fight earlier than you expect and more often than you expect. But the fight seems almost natural to women who have chosen to be in an arena of change because you understand that nobody wants to change and you understand why it's so important that we continue along that change. How you fight makes a difference. Explain. And women still, women still fight collaboratively because you realize you're fighting with people you're fighting for. And sometimes you're fighting against people you're fighting for because until you, you're able to sell that change to them, um, even those you're fighting for are not in agreement with your leadership or with your position or with your presence. So fundamentally, the leadership of a fight is no different from the leadership of an organization or a community, but it, no. it, it perhaps it just feels more violent. It's more dangerous. It's more dangerous. Um, women in campaigns have been stoned and verbally abused, physically abused, um, physically locked out of spaces. It's, it's, it's physically more dangerous. And now we have more ways to endanger women both offline and online. And um, it's a danger to your character, to your reputation with the disinformation. It's, um, it, it's, it's a fight you have to be ready for in a very personal way where maybe you don't have the protection of an organization or community because you're first trying to change a community or you're trying to change an organization. And it is it's just something you have to build up your own self-preservation so when you wake up in the morning and the fight continues when you go to bed at night you have to do your own mental 
um, calculations and make sure you're mentally, emotionally um, ready for the next day's fight because those who don't want the change, they don't relent. And you, you, you don't want to be fighting alone for the long time. You want to make sure that you, know, you, you build um, resilience and resolve, but build people on your side to be able to help you to do that. So it still needs to be collaborative. So the ingredients in the kitchen get more and more messy as more and more ideas come in. And, and many of them push the members of the expedition to think again, to think hard. I had a conversation with Anna. You seem to have questions in your mind on, on the link with motherhood. Mm, yes. I think um, because in uh, my investigation so far uh, about the features of women, that was the most strongest, the the, the, the most the, the strongest one, the strongest feature, the strongest issue of of of, uh, of femininity is uh, is motherhood as well. When I see women leader, I see very strong women, but alone. I don't I don't know why I have this picture in my mind alone, or the stage with no connection with her relatives, children, uh, biology of, of being a mother, because I don't know, I, I see you know, a person who is making speech, who's strong in the professional environment. Where are the children in this picture? Is, is this the separate world or how can we incorporate it and see it as an advantage in the professional portfolio? not as a thing that we need to put a shelf, you know, this is motherhood, so we need to keep it away. Or eventually put it sometimes as an anecdote or a characteristic of that person. When will be the point when the motherhood will be a normal and very much profitable and as, as, treated as a, as a great point in the portfolio somehow? I, myself, I got myself that I have a fear of being mother in the peak of my career. Why as a woman, as a woman, I can't see myself having child and having like, you know, big, big things professionally. I, I know rationally, I, I totally understand this, but emotionally I'm scared that it's some, it's sometimes that it will somehow take away my identity. It's so strange. Even for me as a woman, I'm, I have fear of that in 21st century. Now to Vidya. For Vidya, the expedition has really, so far, has, has held up a mirror for her. She wrote in a recent piece that um, nurturing with too much empathy is harmful. I asked her what she meant. I think it was, a, perhaps it, was, it came from what I've seen of myself, where when there's too much empathy, there is too much putting yourself in the other's shoes to the extent that you find yourself always finding um, excuses for somebody else's uh, underperformance or lack of understanding of your vision or the way you, know, you expect things to get delivered. Um, and so you're always giving a lot more room than is required. And therefore, I felt 
nurturing had to be to the extent that you enable people to become the finest versions of themselves, but not so much that you keep compensating for what they don't do or that they don't understand. This is this is been my personal journey where I feel that I suffered from complete lack of aggression, which I took refuge in because I felt aggression is not, it's, I don't like that trait. It's not only masculine, but it's something that I cannot be. But because of that, I was neither assertive. And there, so therefore I had to fight um, an ineffective and a not a very articulate battle for what I felt should be the way things should either be run or uh, projects should be executed. And I think I've, as I found myself to the journey to being assertive, I also felt that I was just sometimes just giving too much rope because I felt, oh, this is my new self, but maybe, you know, uh, they don't, a lot of people told me that they, they, they saw a very different me and they liked it. But I felt I need, needed somewhere to explain why this news, newfound me was being assertive. And in that sense, I was also being too nurturing. So I'm sorry, it's just sounding very confused and jumbled, but. <laughs> I absolutely love that at this point in the expedition, we are jumbling and feeling our way. Because if we knew the answers to them all, we wouldn't take months and months to do the expedition. So right. it a lot of sense and the conversations you're having with guides is helping you weave through this yes yes absolutely if you're exhausted keep going for a little bit longer this is this is a long expedition there are a lot of people on it and hey i'm only speaking to 10 members of the expedition there are 24 think of it so next yvette yvette has very strong clear views on what leadership is absolutely clear in her head. But over the last few weeks, she has been speaking to a number of leaders who have transitioned from men to women, who were really senior male leaders and are now really senior women leaders. And, and I asked her how much these conversations have shifted her thinking about leadership. Yvette, when we first met, you talked to me about the, the things that, that, you, that you fundamentally believe about leadership. It's not gendered. That's correct. In my opinion, at this moment in my journey, I think leadership is leadership is leadership. I think approaches might be different. I think styles might be different. But leadership, the ability to influence, take a team, organization, person, to through a journey, get the best out of them, um, to achieve a, a common goal. Leadership is leadership is leadership. It's, it belongs to everybody. So every, I believe in this one too so much. Yeah. It belongs to everybody. Yeah. Everyone's a leader. You believe that fundamentally, don't Absolutely. you? Absolutely. It's a lifelong pursuit. Uh, for me, it is. I don't know if it is for everybody else, but when I say that, that lifelong pursuit uh, of excellence in leadership, it to me is really about, um, I don't have all the answers all of the time. And it's such a, a rich and beautiful, for me anyways, topic. I'm always trying to be better, trying to learn more, taking account of, of how I'm leading at certain points and understanding there's so much room 
for learning. But it's a hard lifelong pursuit. Oh yeah, leadership is hard. And, and, and anybody who tells me that it isn't, you know, I would question them and I'd question their particular approaches. Leadership, the, you know, is just hard business. It ain't easy. Now, as part of the expedition, you have been talking to a number of people who've trans transitioned from men to women and, tr yeah. and they were very successful leaders as men and very successful leaders as women. That's right. Now, that is, that is a complete, I mean, it, I wish I'd been a fly on the wall on all of those conversations because yeah. they must have been fascinating. But I suppose, give us a glimpse into how much those conversations might be sort of undermining or co putting question marks beside some of the things that you believe about leadership or even adding a few more to it. Yeah, I think what I, I learned was, was this, that, that my baseline assumption, my baseline belief that leadership is leadership is leadership was, um, was hardened. And I think both of those women would say that that did not change for them. One of the things though that question, the question mark is I keep hearing the word empathy come up over and over again. People want empathy uh, from their leaders, from their bosses. Leaders want to be more empathetic. But in, in the case, for example, of one of the people that I interviewed, she talked about when she was a male in a male dominated uh, field. Yeah, yeah, okay, empathy, shmempathy. It was all about just getting the job done, task at hand, being adversarial, challenging, and in fact, had questioned when she started to transition, had said to herself, I want to be more empathetic and started to become more empathetic. She clearly says some of that might've been the hormones I was taking, but really some of it might've been the woman that I was hiding, but she went out on a journey to be more empathetic, considerate, caring, understanding. And one of the things I thought was interesting was she, she called it worrying. She said, as a male, I didn't worry about nothing. You know, I did my job. Here's a task. Let's go. Let's, you know, charge the hill. As a woman, she found herself worrying after duty hours about the people, about the, uh, uh, the mission at hand, uh, the achievements, et cetera, et cetera. And I just, I thought that was interesting. The word worrying is a sort of negative word, but was she using it as a negative or was yeah. she actually saying that, no, she, she, wa she wasn't using it negatively? No, and I'd say the way that she talked about it was more about consideration. You know, it was synonymous with consideration and consideration about more things than just, you know, charge the hill, uh, so to speak. The other thing that... Um that I've been picking up from you is, is women, do women challenge, do men challenge too much? <laughs> yeah. Talk to me. It was interestingly enough, uh, one of the key things that one of the women, transgendered women that I interviewed absolutely brought up what she noticed on the other side, so to speak. And that is that women aren't as challenging as men so she gave me this uh, particular example that when, you know, when she's now 
she is now she, she is running her uh, business that is male in a male dominated field, the same field that she was in as a, as a man. And, uh, you know, very uh, challenge first day with a client, you know, challenging what their strategy and where they want to go in the business, you know, this, you know, that's part of their job to do that. She'd invariably get calls later in the evening by the women on her team that said, you know, hey, can you believe what that guy said? Or, you know, you know, I, I think that we should have said this. And of course, uh, she said, hey, why didn't you bring that up in the room? Why are you waiting now to tell me and putting sort of the monkey on my back? And as she said that, I, I started to think about in my own life where I'd seen those examples. So these conversations, they're putting a few question marks around your core assumptions, aren't they? They are. I still hold on to leadership as leadership. You see how lucky we are with our guides, some amazing guides who are who are adding so much of our thinking. This was fantastic. On back, perhaps, to just a, a tiny snippet from Laura. She, um, she started a new job recently and has been putting a lot of the expedition into practice. I started a new role at the beginning of July um, in a new organisation. And um, I've had to make a huge effort in order to stay myself, which appears to have inspired people and has got them excited about the future already. Um, you might ask, why is that important? I was hired to do a job right. No, actually, I was hired to bring the best of myself and use that to influence the organization to change. And it's therefore absolutely vital that I don't assimilate to the company culture, especially in these really early stages. And I've realized that's actually really difficult to do that. And I feel really quite tired. It's completely exhausting, isn't it? It's yeah. also a company that's predominantly male in a sector that's predominantly male, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. There's about 20% of the workforce is women in this company but also in the sector. In fact, the, the amount of women is a lot less than 20%. So to turn up as yourself in a predominantly male environment in culture really takes a lot of effort and a lot of energy. But it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it because I've already seen the impact that it has on people, that they are excited about trying to capture a huge opportunity that we see developing in the UK with the energy, energy transition. But you also think that women have become good integrators. So actually, it's sort of almost counter, counterintuitive for women not to try to integrate. It's totally counterintuitive because I think as, I think as human beings, but women in particular, we're so good at adapting to new situations. And it's been a strength through evolution and has helped us survive many situations. But in order to create change, we really need to avoid this assimilation and really bring our true authentic self. And that has been really powerful. And I think because it's not our natural go-to position, it has therefore also been really quite exhausting. So you see the kitchen is pretty full, a mass of ingredients all over all the counters. 
And um, I leave you, no doubt, completely full of indigestion and exhaustion. We certainly are, but we're raring to go for the next phase. The 24 women are, are, are back out, seeking more ingredients with with no attempt at this stage to make sense of it all. We're just collecting ingredients. Just to repeat, thank you for, for coming to the um, the live session yesterday with Aisha. And as I say, in three weeks' time, it'll be with Hinema, date to be confirmed, date and time, but it'll be the week of the 15th of August. You can ask Hinema a mass of questions on the subject that she's, she's chosen to go deep into, which is loosely motherhood and leadership. Look forward to talking to you next week on our next podcast, which I promise will be less indigestible. Lots of love. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We would love you to follow the expedition and provide your own stories and perspectives. You can do this by subscribing to this podcast and joining the Women Emerging Group on LinkedIn, where you can have your say. 